We are today in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse, verses 12 to 17. So let's open our Bibles there, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 to 17. Today we are considering the life of the Apostle Paul and his life in Christ. And uh, the book of 2 Corinthians, by and large, is a tremendously autobiographical book. Uh, Paul describes his ministry, he describes his life, he describes very openly and very candidly his struggles. I was reading uh, a commentary last night by a man named Ray Steadman, and Ray Steadman used to pastor down in Palo Alto. And uh, I'll paraphrase him a little bit, but um, he talked about how in his day, and and in this day as well, there seems to be a mindset among many Christians that if you're a Christian, you never struggle, or if you do, you just say a couple verses and the struggle will automatically disappear. We just kind of claim a couple promises, quote-unquote, and uh, everything just vanishes, all challenges, all opposition, they just, uh, they're gone, and um, we never really show any weakness or have any weakness, or if you admit weakness or admit struggle that uh, you're not walking in the fullness of faith, etc. It's that kind of idea that to have the victorious Christian life means that, that your shirt's never wrinkled and your hair's always in place kind of thing. And I appreciate the sentiment behind that, but it's just not true. It's not biblical at all. We read about the life of Jesus Christ. It says in the book of Hebrews that he cried out vehemently with cries to the Father. Isaiah tells us about Jesus. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We read about the life of the Apostle Paul. We read about all the lives of all, of all the apostles. They, all, they were all 100% human. They were not some supermen with, uh, you know, made out of steel and, and uh, never suffered or never struggled with doubts or fears or anything like that. They were, they were men. They were humans just like us. And I love, I love the truth of the Bible. I love the relevance of the Bible. I love the openness of the Bible that, that God doesn't kind of whitewash his, his servants. He doesn't paint them as someone that we could never be. But I, I just... I love this book, 2 Corinthians, because of the openness, because of the vulnerability that the Apostle Paul shows and the honesty that he has and, the, and the, just the drama of the human life. And in all of it, in all of his struggles, yet he's, he sees his life as victorious because of Jesus. And so I've entitled this message, A Fragile, Victorious Christian Life. And once again, I, I, you know, I, I not only want to mention it in a soft way, but I want to mention, mention it as a word of warning. Beware of churches or teachers or, or movements that won't let you be human, that won't let you go through struggles, that, that will only try to pat you on the back and give you a couple of scripture pills in the morning and, and just kind of say, now march on and just ignore that and you know, just, that's just the enemy getting to you and it's not there and Forgive, forgive the language I'm going to use. It's, I don't mean to be condescending or, or mean-spirited. Claim the victory. Claim the promises. Of course we claim the promises of God, but the promises of God never say you won't struggle. In fact, one of the promises of God is we know that in, in this world we will have much tribulation, Jesus said, right? That's one of the promises of God. So claim that promise. But be of good cheer. Say it with me because I have overcome the world. The Apostle Paul said through, through much tribulation we must enter the kingdom of God. And so tribulation and struggle does not mean defeat. It just means tribulation and struggle. That's all that it means. And God's people have a history of 
being faced with terrible struggles and yet being victorious as they go through them. Oftentimes looking very weak. Oftentimes looking very fragile. Oftentimes considered by the world uh, as, as people that were defeated and, and losers. And so I just think it's very healthy for us to have a biblical worldview, not a churchy worldview. And sometimes the two things are not the same. You guys with me? Am I bumming you out? Is everybody okay? Does anybody need a hug? Group hug. Group hug. (laughs) It's just the truth of the matter, isn't it? It's just the truth of the matter. And so uh, I don't think some teaching does a very good service to the body of Christ in some cases. Not Not on the prowl and not on the attack. But I don't like when unbiblical statements are made from pulpits. And I think this is one of those areas where it just we need to have a very biblical view of life. So let's look here. I'm going to read verses 12 to 17. Then I'm going to pray. Then we're going to study. So verse 12. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel and a door was opened to me by the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus my brother. But taking my leave of them, I departed from Macedonia Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death to death and to the other the aroma of life to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as so many peddling the word of God but as of sincerity but as from God We speak in the sight of God in Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to be those people that are diffusing the knowledge of Jesus Christ everywhere that we go. Lord, we want to be those people that are living in such a way uh, that, that you are known because of us, Lord. You've not only commanded us to do that, but Lord, you allow us to do that and you equip us to do it. And it's a great joy when that happens, Lord. Teach us, God, your ways. Thank you. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. It's important to remember that these things that the apostle is writing, and with with everything in the Bible, they, they, they don't happen in a vacuum. There's a context. There's a historical setting. There's people with feelings. There's things that have happened in the past. There's things that are happening now. There's things that someone might be worried about may happen in the future. And so... Uh, These passages are full of drama. In this passage, when we get to verse 14, the Apostle Paul is going to take a bit of a digression. And it's almost like uh, an epistle within an epistle. It's been very kind of historical and biographical up to this point. From chapter 2 over to chapter 7, about verse 5 or 6, it's almost like he kind of stops his narrative and starts talking about the truths of life as a Christian. And so we're going to see he kind of, he, he almost takes a, a hard right turn here at verse 14, but it's, it's not a departure from his theme and what's on his heart. And so just as a, as a, not a warning, but just to kind of let you know. Let's look at our notes here. This first portion here in verses 12 and 13, Paul is continuing, continuing, continuing to explain his choices in life. He's writing a letter to a church. He was their spiritual father. He was with them 18 months. They were Christians because of his preaching. And he, he, he founded the church and he grounded them in the faith. And so they owe so much to him. 
as he came and invested his life in them. He had visited them. It hadn't gone well. Corinth was a, was a carnal church. There were miracles going on. There was a lot of good things, but there was a lot of carnality going on. Playing favorites. They were following, there was cliques. They were following this leader or following that leader. Paul said and alludes to the fact that during communion, when they would have their communion services, which would spill over into kind of a potluck feast, some people were even getting drunk at the church potluck. There was all kinds of crazy things going on. There was immorality in church. In the church, there was an abuse of spiritual gifts in the church. So there was a lot of things going wrong in the church, and yet these people were authentic, real Christians struggling along. And Paul loved them like a father. You know, we who have children, you know, grandchildren, certainly all of us who have friends. We love our friends, we love our kids and grandkids, even though they're going sideways sometimes, we still love them and we're concerned and our hearts are just wrapped up in how they're doing. And this is what Paul's going through. He had, he had written some letters to them, he had visited them. It didn't go well on his last visit where we're at in the story. He departs for a place called Troas and then he goes on to Macedonia. Paul had wanted to return to Corinth to try to help things get better. But he says previously, we've studied, I didn't go because I, I wanted to spare you. Because if I would have come back, I would have come back with the board of education applied to the seat of understanding. It's a joke. I would have had to spank you hard. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to get into it again with you. So I didn't come back. I went to Troas and then I went on to Macedonia. It says here in verse 12, look at verse 12, amazing verse. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, a door was opened to me by the Lord. Now, this is where we get this phrase in, Christian, in the Christian life, an open door. We look for an open door. When God opens a door, we want to be there uh, to go through it. It means that there's an opportunity for us to share the word of God or to serve people or to do something. And there was a wonderful open door there uh, for Paul. God had opened a door for him there in Troas, but he didn't stay. He went on to Macedonia. That was the physical situation. Consider the emotional situation. Paul was emotionally conflicted. He was hurt. He was misunderstood. He was accused. He was maligned. He was questioned by his own children. He poured his life out to them and they turned around and started accusing him and started questioning him on things. They were listening to false teachers, false apostles who were demeaning and uh, demeaning to Paul and trying to make his ministry illegitimate. And so, you know, that kind of stuff hurts, doesn't it? That kind of stuff hurts. So he was going through that emotionally. He was being discredited. He was defending himself against false accusation. Besides all of that personal stuff, he had to also stand back and say, and I'm worried about them. There are false teachers coming into the church and I'm worried that they're going to be led astray. Who of us doesn't have a family member or a friend that we're worried about who they're listening to, right? You guys with me? We're worried. Uh-oh, they're, bu- they're buying this author's books and they're going to these meetings and they might be attending that church and there's some things that are seriously wrong there and I'm really worried about this person. Put yourself in his sandals, okay? 
This is what he's going through. He's worried about these people and they're turning around and saying, you're this and you're that and you're less than and these people are impressive. And So he's going through all of this emotional turmoil. You can't miss that because it's part and parcel. It's absolutely woven into the fabric of this story. Paul's heart is a mess right now. He's not laying down and just you know, counting to ten and going to sleep. He's staying up and tossing and turning at night. He's, he's suffering emotionally terribly right now. You can't miss that. He hoped to reconcile with the Corinthians. It wasn't working out. He went to Troas to preach and God opens a door. God opens a huge door for him to preach in Troas. Built into the text, it seems as though Paul had told Titus, he had sent Titus with a letter to the Corinthians. There was a plan for them to meet again in Troas. Titus was going to meet him there in Troas and give him a report about how things went. But as Paul was in Troas, this, this wonderful door for ministry was open. He's there preaching. He's, he's pouring his heart out to people. He's giving them the words of Jesus Christ. He's giving them the words of life. But in the back of his mind, he's thinking, I wonder how the Corinthians are doing. And where's Titus? Is he okay? And it may have been part of Titus's responsibility at this point to also be collecting the offering. Remember that? We studied it a little bit a few weeks ago. He, they're also gathering money to help the saints in Jerusalem because there's a famine going on in that land. Maybe Titus got robbed. Maybe he got beat up. So this, this is what's going on. If you're a parent, you've been through this. You're pouring your heart into your children. You're pouring your heart into your friends. You're very involved with that, but in the back of your mind, there's something else going on over here. Are, they, are these people going to be okay? Are those people going to be okay? How am I going to reconcile with them? When am I going to go back? Should I go back now? If I go back now, is it too soon? Should I ever go back? Should I just keep sending my emissaries? What am I going to do? And so his mind and his heart is conflicted. He's pouring his heart out in Troas, but, but that's not the only thing he's thinking about. He's thinking about these children that are rejecting their spiritual father. Are you feeling it? This is a heavy thing for him. It's a really, really hard thing. There was a letter called the Severe Letter, which is not part of the Bible. It's just a personal communique between Paul and the Corinthians. It was written between First and Second Corinthians. And that's the letter that we believe uh, Titus delivered. And so Paul had to say some hard things to them. Did they receive it? Did they say, you know what, Paul, you're right, we've been wrong, we've been stubborn, we've been carnal? Or did they say, you know what, Paul, don't ever come back to Corinth again? Paul's having to wait for that. He, there, was, you know, there wasn't any text messaging or anything like that. You're waiting for answers for weeks or months you know, before they come. Your heart is just strung out. And so he's waiting there in Troas to hear from Titus, but he doesn't hear from him. Turn over to chapter 7, verse 5, if you would. This is when... They, he finally says, this is kind of when the parentheses ends, chapter 2 to chapter 7 is like a parenthetical statement within a statement. Look at chapter 7, verse 5. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. Paul was in Troas, and he left, and he went on to Macedonia. And in Macedonia, he's like, we had no rest. We had no rest. We were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts. Inside were fears. I just don't want you to miss this. Emotionally, Paul was going through it. Verse 6, Nevertheless, God who comforts the downcast, comfort us by the coming of Titus, not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you 
when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. Now that, that, was, the, that was when the relief came. He's in Corinth, it doesn't go well. He's in Troas, he's pouring his heart out to the, to the people of Troas, but in the back of his mind he's thinking, how are the Corinthians? And where's Titus? And when is he going to bring me an answer? I can't stand waiting. I can't stand waiting. And he is so upset and he's so conflicted, guys, in Troas that he leaves. What does he leave? An open door. God said, here's a great opportunity for you to preach, Paul. But he leaves an open door because of emotional turmoil. He leaves an open door because of emotional conflict. This is... This is the emotional struggle that he was going through. On top of that, he's being criticized by the Corinthians as being unreliable and double-minded. You said you were going to come back. You didn't come back. You know, what are we supposed to think about you, Paul? But Paul's thinking, trust me, if I would have come back, it wouldn't have been pretty. It would have been awful because I really would have had to tear into you as your spiritual father. I left for a while. That's kind of a hard thing, just as a side note, if I can take a detour for a moment. That's kind of a hard thing, isn't it? When we are loving somebody so much and they really need to have a change in their life and we've done everything that we can and then we just have to step away for a while and just let the Lord work on them. That's a hard thing, isn't it? You're, you're not at rest until you know that they're okay just because you love them so much. But you're not at rest. But you also realize as much as I want them to be healthy in you, Lord, I'm not the one to get the job done. I want to encourage you guys. Sometimes it's just good to walk away from people and just say, Lord, get them, Lord. <laughs> get them. <laughs> you know? Just throw prayer grenades over the fence at them. Let them wrestle with the Lord like God wrestled with Jacob. They need to meet the Lord, not you. God may use you and sometimes he doesn't. But it's hard to wait. And I just wanted to paint this picture for you because this is what, this, is, this didn't happen in a vacuum. Paul's going through all this. You need to understand that. What is Paul's view of following Jesus? Look at verse 12, 13. I want to flow into verse 14. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, a door was opened to me by the Lord. I had no rest in my spirit I did not, because I did not find Titus, my brother. But taking my leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. Verse 14, it just seems like it's like, Paul, what did you fall asleep and wake up the next day and start a new letter? Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Let, let me paraphrase verse 13, go into verse 14 if I may. I had no rest in my spirit. Titus wasn't there. I left them. I departed from Macedonia. Praise the Lord. Life's always good in Jesus. What? <laughs> You're emotionally torn up. Your children are rejecting you. Uh, you want to go back and settle things, but you don't because it's going to be bad if you go back. So you go to Troas and God opens the door for you, but you leave that because you're so emotionally upset and you go to Macedonia and you're saying life is good. And he's saying, yeah, life is great. When Jesus lead me, leads me, life is a victory. Life is a triumph when Jesus leads me. He was agonizing over them. He worried about the relationship. He leaves the open door. There's great opportunity to preach in Troas. Paul wasn't up to it. 
Have you ever had an opportunity to minister to somebody, to do something, to be involved in a ministry, to work with the kids, to serve at the church, to serve in the community, to take somebody out to lunch, uh, to share the gospel? They seem to be interested in your Christian faith and they're meeting you for lunch and you've been meeting them for coffee and then you get a phone call about a prodigal child or a friend who's going off the deep end or something and you have to call that person and say, you know what, I'm so glad you're willing to meet me for lunch. I can't make it today. And they say, is everything okay? And then you go, yes, but that's really not. Everything's not okay. I'm tore up inside. I am torn up inside. I can't meet with you today. I've got nothing left. My heart's empty. My heart's broken. I feel like there's a boulder on my chest. I can't even breathe. My head is pounding. My head is spinning. My thoughts are out of control. I can't grasp. I can't pull myself together. That's what Paul was going through. And then he says, you know what? Oh, well, thanks be to God, he always leads us in triumph. What? (laughs) It seems like he went to sleep on Monday, had a night, good night's sleep, woke up on Tuesday, go, oh, you know, I think I'll just change the subject. No, the two things are, are, are absolutely connected. You need to understand that the two things are absolutely connected. And it's amazing to me. Is, is this relevant or what? Yes or no? <laughs> Say it loud. Yeah. It's relevant. This is, this is everyday living for us. And the Bible is so relevant to the human need. And, you know... A lot of people think it's just some you know, book of rules about making us miserable and killing our joy or something. I mean, this, this book brings forth the truth of God in such a way to, to buoy my heart and my soul, to change the way that I think. And it should change the way that we think. That's why we want to study the, the whole Bible, the entire Bible. Even though Paul, look at, your, look at your notes there, Roman numeral number two, letter A, number four. Even though Paul was suffering greatly regarding his emotions, he was still led by God. He was still led by God. Ministry experts would have criticized him for leaving. Paul, if he was, on a mission, if he was sent out by a missions organization, they would have said, why did you leave the open door? We're going to have to consider pulling back your support. You might have to come back to Antioch and just, you know, sweep the church or something. How could you leave an open door? Paul said, I left an open door, but you know what? I was being led by the Lord. In spite of my emotional turmoil, I was being led by the Lord. Guys, Paul could have been criticized and he could have criticized himself. Uh, This is my life, and and I'm presuming it's yours because the Bible says there's no temptation except that which is common to man. So I can tell a story about me, and I know it applies to you because I'm human as far as I can tell most of you are human. You know, sometimes you need coffee to appear that way, but uh, there's sometimes when I I have an opportunity to minister to somebody. I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor. Sometimes people call me, and they want to talk, and at that moment I feel like, you know, I just don't have it in me. Um, Can we make an appointment like for... 14 weeks from now or something. You know? And, you know, I, sometimes I, I delay it, I'll put it off, and then I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm a failure, I'm a loser, I'm a selfish person. Oh, maybe I should call him back. No, I'll feel stupid. I mean, I go through those things where I've been second-guessing myself and disqualifying myself, and Satan's like, yeah, some kind of pastor you are, some kind of Christian you are. I go through those things. And then sometimes I'll call him back or sometimes I'll just cry in my cereal and or whatever the case may be. You know, we go through those things. And people might look at me or they might look at Paul and say, man, you blew your opportunity. And I might say, yeah, I blew my opportunity. And then I would walk around feeling like a loser the rest of the day or the week. If I was a better Christian, I would have done this. 
If I was really serious about following Jesus, I would have done that. I, you know, am I the only one? Please tell me no. Oh, good, thank you, good. We can all cry in our cereal together, okay? Those things happen. That's true life. Paul was a preacher. He lived to preach. I just don't want you to miss this. You have to, you have to capture the human element here. Look at your notes, 1 Corinthians 9.16. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me, yes. Look at read it with me. Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. So Paul leaves these troublesome Corinthians and he goes and there's people, I'm inserting this, there's people lining up in Troas to listen to him. In Corinthians, they want to run him out of town. In Troas, they're like, tell us more, pastor. I mean, that's kind of a preacher's dream, right? The sermon's only two hours long. Can't we stay longer? Sure, you know. I mean, that's a preacher's dream. He says, woe unto me if I don't preach the gospel. But he said, you know what? This time I couldn't. I couldn't. I didn't have it in me. I just couldn't stay. I was so concerned about the Corinthians and Titus and all these things and all these unanswered questions, and I left. I left an opportunity to serve God. And I went to Macedonia, and I just stayed there, and I waited. But he says in verse 14, look at this, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Now I think the key word there for me, look, when you read the Bible, look, for the, look at the verbs. Thanks be to God who always leads us. Was Paul being led? Yes. Now if he just leaves on his own, out of his own emotion, he's not being led by the Lord. He's battling through this. He's, he's saying, uh, forgive me, there's an old song from the 80s, should I stay or should I go? You know, it's like he's, he's, he's wrestling with this. Lord, do I stay? Is it me? I'm emotional. I don't think I'm, you've opened a door for me. It's obvious you've opened a door for me, but I don't know if I can keep doing this. Should I stay? Should I go? Talk to me, Lord. Le- please lead me and guide me. You know, if he stays, he's going to feel it. If he leaves, he's going to feel it. Somehow in that turmoil, in that confusion, in that feeling maybe less than everything that, that God made him to be, he decides I'm going to leave. But he's able to say in verse 14, thanks be to God who always leads us. And because of that word there, I claim that Paul was not being, was not leaving because of his emotions or discouragement. He was feeling emotions and discouragement, but he wasn't controlled by them. Somehow he fought through to this place where he said, Jesus is going to lead me, Jesus is showing me what to do, and I'm going to go ahead and go. And there could have been a lot of people that would have said, if there's any, if there's any of his uh, companions with him, they're saying, Paul, this is a great opportunity. What are you doing? We pray, for, we pray for opportunities like this. Are you crazy? What are you doing? But Paul's like, I can't, I can't stay. I don't have it in me. And by the way, I got the green light from God. And if he's leading me, if he's leading me away from an open door, it's still a victory. I, I appreciate... Uh, Counselors, I, I really appreciate Christian counselors, and I know some of us see them, and that's, that's all good and fine and everything, but don't neglect reading your Bible. The Word of God is the best counsel you will ever get. It speaks to your soul like nothing else. 
And if you're going through a time like the Apostle Paul was going through, you might, you might skim over this and read it, and it might not really take because your mind is so caught up with the problem. I totally understand that. That's why I suggest that we read the Bible every day so that on the days where you're not struggling, you can really dig into this. And then when the struggle comes, you can go, wait a minute, I remember how to deal with this. I'm leaving the situation, but I don't have to feel like a loser Christian because I do believe, in in spite of the turmoil of my mind and heart, I do believe that God is releasing me and leading me on to Macedonia, and I'm okay. Life in Jesus is always a victory. You guys with me? Amen, anybody? Life in Jesus is always a victory. With him, it's always plan A. I have plans A through Z and then I start over again and find another alphabet with more letters and I make all those plans too. But life in Jesus is always plan A. Even if plan A is flexible and changing and fluid, there's always a plan A with God. Even if it looks like, what are you doing? Even when you're saying, what am I doing? If you can say, God's leading me, it's plan A and it's a victory. He entangled himself from his emotions. However it looked to anybody else, he said it's a triumph. Look at, look at the under Roman numeral number 2, letter A, numbers 10 and 11. I, I want you guys to consider these applications for your own lives. Number one, it's important for us to not judge ourselves or others when we make a decision that seems to con- contradict something that seems so obvious. Sometimes we make decisions... And everybody will look at us and say, it seems so obvious that you should be doing this. Why are you doing that? And you, if you're a Christ follower, if you have the Spirit of God in you, you need to be able to say, you know what, I appreciate your concern. Thank you for all of that. I know it does, it does look crazy, doesn't it? But can I just tell you, I know Jesus is leading me this way. So just pray for me now because I feel like I'm back to plan A again, even though it looks like I'm totally away from plan A. Sometimes I look at some Christians' lives and I just go, I wouldn't have done it that way. Of course, you guys never do that, but I I do that all the time. Very judgmental. I wouldn't have done it that way. But it's it's not for me to decide. Unto his own master he stands or falls, right? If it's, a, if it's a doctoral issue, if he's saying it's okay to have 14 wives, I would say, you know what, that's not okay. <laughs> you know, you're not going to stand, or, I mean, you're going to fall in front of the Lord if you think you can have 14 wives. But if you think you should go to XYZ instead of ABC, and ABC looks so good and XYZ looks so horrible, who am I to tell you? But you need to have the assurance that I'm supposed to be over here at XYZ. And then you can say, God's leading me in victory. Another application, it's important to fight through our emotions and to be led by God to the point where we can say God is leading me into triumph. These things are extremely emotional. Life is extremely emotional sometimes. I'll say this a little sarcastically, a little facetiously, fun. Put on your big boy pants and fight. Um, It was kind of a gender-specific statement, but you know what I mean. (laughs) Tough it out. Come on. Paul told Timothy, fight the good fight. I like what Warren Wiersbe says. He says, life isn't a playground, it's a battleground. And through many tribulations, we must go to enter the kingdom of God. It's just how it is. We have an enemy, and his name is Satan. 
And he wants to derail us. And he'll do it through emotions. For me to get emotional sometimes doesn't take anything at all. For me to stay emotional, no problem at all. For me to have faith and believe my way out of it, that's a fight sometimes. Sometimes it takes days, sometimes it takes weeks. But that's what, that's what Paul is saying here. When Jesus leads me, it's a victory, regardless of how it looks. Look what else happens, guys. Verse 14, the first part, he says, when Jesus leads us, it's a victory. And then he says, and through us, he diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. When Jesus leads us, it's a victory. And when Jesus leads us, people know about him. One way or the other, people know about him. We are called and equipped to, to bring the knowledge of Jesus to people. Look at your notes. I'm just going to read through it. How do we bring the knowledge of, of Jesus to people? Well, number one, it happens when we are in close and regular communion with Jesus. We take on the fragrance of Christ. If you've ever been around maybe like a, a real loving grandma who has a lot of perfume on and she kind of hugs you three or four times and you, you walk away and you go to lunch and you go, hmm, I can still smell grandma, you know. Her, her perfume kind of got, got on your clothes and you're carrying with you the fragrance of grandma, okay. That's how it is with Jesus. If we're close to him, we're carrying the aroma, the fragrance, the essence, uh, the presence of Jesus with us. It's seen in how we act and, and, and how we don't act and what we say and don't say and how we love and have mercy on people. How we're kind when people, other people are not kind. How we desire holiness when everybody's laughing at the dirty jokes or saying this movie's okay and that movie's okay. How we take a stand and say, you know, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus and I just don't want to live that way. It's not that you're evangelizing or preaching. You're just saying, I'm a Christian and people know that you're a Christian. And that's one way that we diffuse the knowledge of Jesus to other people. Another way is, guys, that we talk about him. And this seems to be increasingly uh, a lost part in the lives of many Christians. It seems as though uh, many Christians believe if I just act godly, people will get saved. Well, we should act godly. We should be godly people. By the way, if, if for some reason uh, you're uh, not living uh, the way a Christian should live, uh, you're losing credibility with people. When you, when you finally do have the desire and the opportunity to speak the gospel to them, th- they may not listen to you because they know how a Christian should live. And so if we, if we lose credibility with people, we have to own that, don't we? It's like, oops, yep, I, I shouldn't be doing this and I should be doing that. And So we want to have credibility with people, but if you have credibility with people, you still need to share the gospel. We still need to speak about Jesus. Look at verse 14. He says, through us, through us who follow Jesus, he diffuses the knowledge, the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Dear, dear, dear brothers and sisters, it's not enough to be nice people. It's not enough. We need to share our faith. We have some really, really functional invitation cards in the foyer. They even look good. They even have the right time and place on them. I'm being a little silly with you now. Grab some of those and invite some people to church. Tell them, hey, come and see the freak show. My pastor's a nut, man. You'll laugh your brains out. That guy's crazy. Okay, No, come and, come and hear what's important to me. Let them come and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have out in the foyer also some, some cards by Campus Crusade for Christ everystudent.com and everyperson.com. These are really good websites where you can give to somebody and say, you know, if you ever have any questions, 
about, about God. What does God think about homosexuality? What does God think about Islam? What does the Bible say uh, about heaven and hell? Do cats go to heaven? I mean, look, go, go on. I thought that was funny. Look, go on these websites and look it up. And you can share that with somebody. Hey, can I give you a card? This is really interesting. Here, just look it up when you have time. As Christians, we need to talk about Jesus. Yes, live godly lives. Look at your notes here, guys. There's a, there's a phrase that is mistakenly attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. You may have heard this. It's, it, it's made it onto some bumpers even. If it's on a bumper sticker, it must be true, right? I think I'm funny. You guys can just forget it. The, the bumper sticker says, preach the gospel at all times if words used... If, if use, oh my goodness, it says it better than this. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. How many of you guys have heard that before? It's not true. Francis of Assisi didn't say that, and you can't preach the gospel without using words. May your life adorn the doctrine of Jesus Christ. May your life make a conversation inviting and safe, and, and may a person feel safe with you and respected by you. May you have credibility with people, but you still need to share the gospel message. You can share your testimony. You can say what God has done. You can say, hey, you know what? Could I just tell you my story about, about what Jesus has done for me? Look at, look at the verse here in Romans chapter 10. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings, glad tidings of good things. So then, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. We need to speak about Jesus. Okay, listen, I'm on social media. I know a lot of you are on social media. I, I see you there. We cross paths in the, in the cyberspace. I'm on Facebook. You know what Facebook is to me? It's a nice way to connect with friends, but to me it's a pulpit. I put Jesus stuff on my page. I put Jesus stuff on my page. How many of your Facebook friends know you're a Christian? Not because you voted for Trump. (laughs) Get rid of that argument, but because you have Christ in your heart. How many of you would be willing to write out your testimony and just say, to all my Facebook friends, I'm going to talk about my faith if you're not interested, delete now or whatever. You know, just skip over it now. But if you're interested, can I tell you what happened to me in 19-whatever and, you know, and just tell your testimony. Guys, Satan is the prince of the power of the air waves. <laughs> you know, the media and all these things that are being used for bad, we can use the media for good, but guess what? We have to use the media for good. Amen? At least put a link to the church. These, the, the sermons that we're doing are on YouTube and, and they're on Facebook. Put a link. Let your friends see. We're not promoting the church and we're not promoting me. We're promoting Jesus, amen? We're promoting Jesus. So let me ask you something. If you are a Christian, is the knowledge of Jesus being diffused through your life? Can I, can I just say this in the, in, the, in the nicest way possible? It almost seems like an insult, but it's not an insult. We are commanded to make disciples of all nations. We are commanded and we are equipped and we're given the word of God and we're given people that teach us the Bible and we have the internet and you can find the best Bible teaching on the planet and can be so equipped but if you're not moved in your heart, nothing's going to happen. If you're not broken hearted over the loss and you're so busy with your own life, we're missing it. 
I, why do I say that? Because I, I miss it too sometimes. I'm not spanking you guys. I'm spanking us, I guess. If we, receive the spank as needed. They say as the, if the shoe fits, wear it. If the spank fits, wear it, okay? Just be, be motivated and let's get back and be everything that Christ has called us to be. Any amens to that? that that's, that's what we're called to. If we're not diffusing the knowledge of Jesus, consider a couple of things before we move on here. If you're a Christian who's not diffusing the knowledge of Jesus, we always take on the fragrance of, of things that we love. If, I, if you would have talked to me Friday night about 7 o'clock, you would have known that I love garlic shrimp. <laughs> How would you have known? <laughs> because I took on the fragrance of garlic shrimp. I had a mouthful of garlic shrimp. I was almost heaven. We take on the fragrance of the things that we're around. Take on the fragrance of Jesus. Be close to Jesus. Secondly, speak of Jesus. Share your testimony. Learn apologetics, which some pastors call pre-evangelism. There's so many crazy arguments that need to be set aside and cleared out. We need to help people think clearly. Study the Bible. Pray for boldness and a broken heart for the lost. There's a, there's a website there called tellsomeone.harvest.org. This is by uh, Greg Laurie. If you're, th- if you're a person that says, I don't know how to share my faith, go to that and they'll give you a free uh, evangelism seminar. The tools are right here. The tools are laid out before us. We can do this. But we just have to want it. Verse 14, moving on. Thanks be to God. He makes my life a victory even when I'm all confused and torn up. And through us, even though I'm all confused and torn up, he is diffusing the, knowledge, the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Verse 15, for we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death to death and to the other the aroma of life to life. And who is sufficient for these things? Paul says there are different responses to our lives in the gospel. He says in verses 15, in the first part of verse 16, when we share with people about Jesus, there's two opposite effects. Some people feel like this is a message of life. Man, I have needed to hear this. And others sound like, say like, this sounds awful to me. This sounds terrible to me. I don't want to hear it. To some people, the gospel feels like death. To others, it is life. You can read that in John 3:16 to 21. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, verse 17, but through him that people might be saved because the world is already condemned. People around us are condemned under the judgment of God. They're not condemned under uh, uh, social, cultural mores. They're not condemned by their friends or they're not condemned by their political party or they're not condemned by their bosses and co-workers. They're not condemned... Uh, by, by, all, by all those people necessarily, but God says, he that has the Son has life, and he that does not have the Son does not have life, but the wrath of God abides on that person. And part of me absolutely hates that. I hate, about, I hate thinking that people must go through the righteous judgment of God, but you know what? They must go through the righteous judgment of God. And that's why my heart needs to be broken to speak the gospel to people. May my life give my message credibility, but the message needs to come. The message must come. 
And sometimes when it comes, as Paul says, to some it sounds like life and to others it sounds like death. So, you know, take the pressure off yourself if, if you would. You don't have to guarantee the results of sharing the message about Jesus. You just have to share the message about Jesus. The results are up to the people who are, who are hearing it. We don't have, we're, we're not called to, to turn people into Christians. We're called to share the gospel message. So the results are up to them and the Lord. Paul's speaking here about, an, about a historical event called the Roman Triumph. It's a processional. Let me just read to you from William Barclay. This would happen after a Roman general would be triumphant in battle. In a triumph, the procession of the victorious general marched through the streets of Rome to the capital. First came the state officials in the Senate, then came the trumpeters, then were carried the spoils taken from the conquered land, then came the pictures of the conquered land and models of the conquered citadels and ships. There followed the white bull for sacrifice which would be made. Then there walked the captive princes, leaders, and generals in chains, shortly to be flung into prison and in all probability almost immediately to be executed. This was the Roman culture, remember? Then came the lictors bearing their rods, followed by the musicians with their lyres. Then the priests swinging their censers with sweet-smelling incense burning in them. After that came the general himself. Finally came the army wearing all the decorations and shouting, Low triumph. Their cry of triumph. As the procession moved through the streets, all decorated and garlanded amid the cheering crowds, it made a tremendous day which might happen only once in a lifetime. It was the parade to top all parades. And what Paul is saying in this thing, in that procession, there are the victors and there are the defeated. And in that procession was the incense and the whole city was smelling it. And to the Romans, it was the smell of victory. And to the captives, it was the smell of defeat and the smell of death. And Paul is simply saying, what do, what do we know so far? Verses, 14, verses 12 and 13, my life was a mess. I was confused. I was torn up inside. I was emotionally a wreck. I, I didn't know if I should stay or if I should go. God opened a door for me. I'm preaching the gospel, but I'm worried about the Corinthians. Should I stay or should I go? I'm leaving, but I believe God's leading me. And when he leads me, it's a victory. And when he leads me, people know about him. And I'm like this censor that God's just swinging. And by the way, what, happen, what has to happen to incense to make it work? It has to get burned. It has to be set on fire. God has just set me on fire and he's just swinging me around and people are hearing the gospel message. Even though my life is totally confusing at the moment, and I'm concerned for my friends, and I don't know what to think about them, but he's using me. And my life is a victory when I follow him. And some people love the message, and some people hate the message, but, that's not, but the results aren't up to me, it's up to them and the Lord. And he's just saying, my life is so fragile, but it's so good. I like that. I like that. Anybody else? I like that. I, I, I have no desire to wear blue tights and have a red cape. Can you imagine me in blue tights? Oh, my goodness. That's, get, get, you can laugh louder if you want. I mean, imagine me in red boots. And I, I'm not, I am not Superman. I'm just a man. But I love that God just accepts me as a man. Strengths and weaknesses, the whole thing. And I'm so glad that in, in the worst weakness of my life, if I'm just saying, I'm so messed up inside but I'm going to let him lead me, that it always turns out good. I have a fragile, victorious life. I confess to you. I, that's the promise I claim. 
That's me. I have a fragile, victorious life. And that's, I think, that's real living right there. It's not saying that there's never anything wrong. It's not saying that I'm just going to, you know, quote a couple verses and everything has to change. It just, that's not reality sometimes. I'm not diminishing the promises of God. I'm just saying sometimes we take them and they're just placebos and they don't work because we don't understand them and we, we misquote them and we misapply them. So, look at verse uh, 16 and 17. If you have any questions, text them in. I'll try to answer them. Verse 16, To the one we are the aroma of death to death, to the other the aroma of life to life. And who is sufficient for these things? The, the word means who is able, who is worthy, who is capable. He goes on to say in chapter 3, verse 5, look there, not that we are sufficient to, of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Just in case they think Paul's bragging. Oh, so Paul, you're so victorious. You just think you're so great. He's saying, you know what? I, I can't even really do this on my own. But God, God makes me able to do it. Just in case he has to deflect, but he's also answering a great truth. If we think, who am I to do this? I can't do this. Yeah, you can. In the Lord, you can. In the Lord, you can. Sadly, verse 17, for we are not so many, for we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God we speak the side in the, uh, we speak in the side of God in Christ. The false, the false apostles were, were teaching part of the Bible. And they were peddling it. The word in the Greek means to be a retailer, to be making money by selling or to corrupt or adulterate. In the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, it says that the wine merchants would dilute the wine with a little bit of water so they could stretch the wine out and make a little bit more money. And sometimes, guys, today, then and today, some people are only giving you a diluted version of the Bible. They're watering it down. Or they're just leaving some of it out. I want, may I caution everyone here? And it may seem like a small thing, and, and you might think I'm overreacting, but I don't think I am. Some churches say we teach from the Bible, and that's a huge difference than saying we teach the Bible. From the Bible is we teach the parts we like. We teach the Bible means even the hard parts <laughs> we teach. And there's a huge difference. We don't want to water down God's message. He gave us his whole word, didn't he? We need to learn all of it. Be, be, just watch out for those kinds of things. You ever seen some weightlifters, like from here up, they're really huge, but they have chicken legs because they don't like doing squats? That's how some Christians turn out. We're like, from here up, I look really good. Let me see your legs. Nope. <laughs> they look like pencils. I'm not well balanced. I'm not complete. And sometimes that happens in the church. A couple of questions for us, four questions. Are you confident that if you follow Jesus, he'll lead you in triumph? Are you confident about that? God wants you to be confident. Even when your head is spinning like crazy and you're second-guessing yourself, if you can get to the place where you're like, Lord, I believe you're leading me, then you can think, I don't even know how this is going to turn out, but I know it's going to turn out good. Number two, do you believe that Jesus can actually use you to diffuse the knowledge of him? He can. 
Take on his fragrance and be ready to speak about him. Number three, remember that as you diffuse the knowledge of Jesus, there will be a mixed reaction. Don't be disappointed, or I shouldn't be, we're disappointed, but don't be surprised if some people aren't interested. They're just, they're they're not interested. Or maybe they're not interested yet. Be faithful to speak about Jesus. Number four, if you feel unworthy and unable to do this, remember that God makes us worthy and able. He's the one that makes us sufficient. Are there any questions this morning from the guys in the back? Would God's perfect will have been for Paul to continue to preach at Troas? Did Paul choose God's permissive will to leave? You know, the Bible doesn't talk about perfect or permissive will. It just talks about the will of God. And my take on this passage, because of verse 14, Paul says, praise the Lord because he always leads us. And he's talking about his own life. So in verses 12 and 13, he's saying, my life's a mess. I don't know what to do. Verse 14, he says, but you know what? Praise the Lord. He always leads us the right way. So my take on it, and we can disagree and that's okay, but my take on it is he said, you know what? Lord, I'm going to go. And he had a sense of like, Paul, it's okay. You can go. God can bring somebody else to Pisha Troas too. You need to go. go. Go wait in Macedonia for Titus. And that's where Titus met him. And then he knew everything was okay. So I think Paul was on target, my opinion. Why is Christianity the only true religion? It's late. (laughs) That's a very long and drawn out question. And because of time and because of the children in the classroom, I'm absolutely not dodging it. I will respond on the Cornerstone Facebook page to that one today. And I will try to give a concise answer for that and I appreciate that Uh, whoever asked that beautiful question and it absolutely deserves a thorough answer I'll say this there's the scientific evidence that points to a creator and there's the internal witness of a human heart conscience mind all of those things where does conscience come from where does the world come from you can approach it both scientifically and through the human soulish approach. I'll, I'll leave it at that. May I, may I ask uh, respectfully in return if a person doesn't think that Christianity is the true religion, which is, which is fine, we can, we can debate such things, how do you explain the origin of life and how do you explain the working of the human soul? And I'm fine if people disagree, but I always lovingly challenge my friends, okay, you don't have to agree with me, but you have to believe something. It's not okay to just go through life just saying, I don't know what I believe. No, you have to believe something. If you've decided you don't believe this, why? And then why do you believe this over here? And let's let's talk about it and let's have a a respectful uh, conversation about it. But you have to have an opinion, I I think. It's not okay to go through life just saying, oh, I don't know. You have to know. You have to know. My, my take on it. I will, I will post something on the Cornerstone Facebook page uh, this week. Let's stand together. We are always here to, to pray with you at the end of the service. If you have any needs at all, we would love to pray with you or talk with you. Or if you're the person that wrote that question, now that everybody's leaving to get their children, I'd love to sit and chat with you for as long as we need. So that would be fantastic. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this word. Lord, we want to recognize that sometimes we are so absolutely frail, but Lord, you are so amazingly strong and wonderful, Lord. We want to follow you, especially in our weak moments, God, when we're inclined to 
to just give up, Lord. Um, thank you that we can be fragile, but you leave, lead us in victory, Lord. And then you use us. And Lord, we pray that you would use us. And if for any reason, Lord, we are not being used by you, Lord, may you touch our hearts and, and spark our willingness and availability to you. Father, thank you. And for that person that wrote that question, thank you for that person being here and writing that question, Lord. Even if I don't answer it well, Lord, you answer it well. Thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you guys.